Hello everyone and welcome to the Strength Actually podcast. My name is Lindsay and I'll be your host. This podcast is a safe, judgment-free space where we'll be unpacking the typically patriarchal narrative around strength and asking, what does it really mean to be strong? I'll be bringing you big sister energy to answer the questions you've always wanted to ask but have felt too scared or intimidated to. We'll be covering everything from strength physically to strength in relationships, parenting and times of hardship. No question is off limits. This week is all about navigating ADHD and the diagnostic process, how to find strength in pregnancy and how to let go of what other people think of you and cheer for your damn self. Let's get into it. Hey Lindsay, I believe I have ADHD. I've struggled my whole life with lack of focus. I struggle to complete tasks. I have major sensory overstimulation, which leads to irritability. I have no motivation to keep my house tidy and I constantly misunderstand social cues, which then leads to difficult relationships. My life feels as though I have immense amounts of energy one day and then others I can't get out of bed. For so long, I thought these were character flaws. But the more I research, the more I believe I have undiagnosed ADHD. I think I'm ready for a diagnosis, but I'm so scared. Any friends or family that I have opened up to have met me with an eye roll or an everyone has that these days. And it's made me really doubt myself. On top of that, I don't know where to start with a diagnosis. How do I find strength to navigate all of this? Wow. I feel like I could have written this myself and I think that many people listening to this, especially women, will be able to relate. So I want to start by saying that you are absolutely not alone. That's going to be my tagline for this podcast. I think actually it's the reason that I started creating this podcast is because I wanted people to know that you're not alone. Our thoughts can feel so isolating, can't they? It feels as if we're the only one that thinks these things. And actually, when we hear from other people, we realise that we're all quite similar and that there are lots of other people who experience the things that we do. So I hope that that brings you some comfort, first of all. I'm going to try and unpack this question as best I can with the full disclaimer that I also have ADHD and sometimes I might jump from one thought to the other. But this is my podcast and this is who I am, so I'm going to show up authentically And I hope that it's helpful for you. So you've spoke about your symptoms of ADHD and I am not a psychiatrist and I am also not an expert in diagnosing ADHD. So I'm I'm not going to make comment on those other than to say thank you so much for sharing them with us and how you believe you're experiencing ADHD. Mentioning that you thought they were character flaws and the immense shame that comes with that I can absolutely relate to and I know that there'll be people listening to this who can also. When we grow up in a world like ours that for so long, especially as a woman, made us feel as though we couldn't possibly have ADHD because that's what they believed, right? They believed that ADHD was only a thing that happened to little boys. And then We grow up thinking, why do I feel so outside of the normative? Why do I feel so different from everyone else? Why do I feel as though the things that are so easy for other people, why are they so hard for me? 
And that brings so much shame and so much guilt, especially if you've become a parent or you're in a long-term relationship or you have any responsibilities like a job. It just becomes so apparent so quickly. And when there isn't a outlet for that when there isn't an avenue that you can go down that can help you understand yourself it can become really 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 challenging so I just want to take a moment to honour that and to say that you're an absolutely incredible human being for getting to this stage in your life and also in your level of self-awareness so please be immensely proud of yourself for that and for taking the time to really dive into this experience and think no this doesn't feel right and I I really want to figure out more about myself so that I can help myself. I can totally relate to feeling scared to go for a diagnosis. I felt the same. I felt really terrified. I felt so much guilt and shame about being broken. I had all of this shame around what ADHD was. Having grown up with people in my family having ADHD I just, I just thought it made me less than, that it made me less than, less than perfect probably is what I thought because I have perfectionist tendencies and I just thought that I was really embarrassed. I felt really embarrassed that I wasn't this like fully functioning human being and actually I had something wrong with me and I say that in air quotes. So I can really... I can really relate to that fear around going for a diagnosis. What I can say about a diagnosis is that it absolutely changed my life and the level of compassion that I've been able to offer, not just to myself, but to other people in my life has been huge and it's also been transformative. It has taken away so much bitterness and anger that I felt and it's helped me really truly understand myself and helped me be really kind to myself So when people ask me, what's the point in going for a diagnosis or even what did a diagnosis bring you? That's what it did for me. Now, I'm not saying that um, only a professional diagnosis will do that. Self-diagnosis is totally valid. You know yourself, you know yourself well. And if you don't feel like you need an official diagnosis for any reason, then you don't have to go for one. Having a diagnosis for me gave me validation. It really helped me to understand that this is my experience in life and you know one of the things that helped me to learn is that I am not broken it's not me that's broken it's it's the system that's broken it's the world it's trying to live as a square peg trying desperately to fit in a round hole that is like the best analogy that anyone ever gave me when it came to navigating this life as a neurodivergent person It's being this square peg trying to really desperately fit in this round hole and that is the way that it is, you know. Neurodivergent people are different from neurotypical people yet the world is designed for the neurotypical experience and that's why we often feel so full of shame and guilt and embarrassed and like we just maybe want to hide away because there's this real deep lack of understanding when it comes to the neurodivergence of us and our brains and also just like the differences that all sorts of humans experience. So I hope that you heard that. I hope that you heard that you are not broken. It's the way that this world is set up and it's not set up for anything that stands outside of the normative. 
And fortunately for us, there is this huge uprising of awareness. And I think that's probably what your friends and family members are leaning towards when they give you those eye rolls or when they say to you like, oh God, everyone has that these days. And actually, I find it really hilarious that we see that as a negative, like that this amazing like propulsion of awareness that this uprising that people are having of becoming aware of themselves and being able to seek diagnosis and help that we're seeing that as a oh god you know everyone's jumping on the bandwagon instead of thinking wow how what an incredible gift what an amazing gift that the internet actually has given us in helping us to realize that there are so many different ways that people can operate in this life and how amazing that all of these people who've gone undiagnosed or misdiagnosed have fucking struggled their whole lives are now able to get a diagnosis which will lead which leads to support which leads to compassion which leads to massive amounts of change in their lives for the better which in turn makes the world a better place I don't see how that's not an ultra positive thing but here we are and you know it's really really tough to navigate those conversations and I've been there I've been there myself and I've had you know some of the closest people in my life the people that I've really trusted with this information say those things back to me and you know I met it with so much anger and so much hurt and if that's how you're feeling I want you to know that that's totally valid your feelings are always valid but it wasn't serving me to pile my insides up with resentment it wasn't helping me when people were saying that to me and I was just getting the absolute rage what I started to do was just to take a deep breath you know if I, if I really cared about the person I would take a deep breath and I would just like firmly assertively without aggression or without like loads of emotion applying my three rules, if uh, you have listened to that episode yet, that it's not okay to say that to me and it's not okay to say that to anyone. And most of the time people don't realise how hurtful it is to say that. You know, they're just making this off-the-cuff remark and they don't realise how dismissive it is and how much it erases your experience. It is not helpful when you say, I think I might have this, and someone goes, oh God, everyone's got that. It just totally dismisses your experience as if it's not real because, well, everyone's got it these days, so it can't really be a real thing. So let, just letting people know that, you know, and you can do that in any way that feels right for you. You can also choose to walk away from that conversation. You, you don't have to get into it, especially if you are feeling really emotive and really in that place where you're just not ready to have calmer conversations about it. It's you're totally allowed to assert that boundary. But just letting people know, you know, that this is not just an internet craze. This is something that I am experiencing. And this is, it's really, really important to me that I have support from the people around me because from what I hear, it's not going to be an easy process. And there's going to be a lot of things that come up that I'm, that I'm really going to need support with. So I need you to stop saying that because it is dismissive can just be a really helpful place to start and you know you're setting your boundary you're letting people know this is not cool and actually what I need from you is this 
okay, you cannot control their reactions to that. You don't know how they're going to react. But it's so important, especially as you navigate this journey, that you get into a habit of standing up for yourself and your needs. Because really what's happened for most of your life is that you have had to put those needs aside because they don't fit with the normative. You have had to be maybe in places where there's been so much sensory stimulation and that might be making you feel irritable, it might be making you snappy, it might be making you moody, but instead of the cause being treated, you know, like oh, maybe I could be in a space where it's not this loud or maybe I could get some little earbuds that stop me from having to experience this, what what feels like to me, like someone scratching their nails down a blackboard while someone else is trying to talk to me, while someone else is beating a tambourine against my head. Maybe I could get some support with that so that I could show up as the the person that I am and not just be thought of as moody and sensitive. You know, your whole life you've been putting these needs aside because they don't fit in the round hole. And so getting into that habit of speaking up for your needs is it doesn't actually just serve you. It serves all of us because it helps neurotypical people understand what the needs are of neurodivergent people. And it actually makes the world a much more inclusive space. So I would definitely have those conversations and say the thing you know like this is not cool and if you feel like it you can point them in the direction of resources that are going to help educate them you said that you've been doing your own research so you will have lots of places where you can send them and I do find that the more information and education that people have the more compassionate and understanding they're able to be Although you should know that as a neurodivergent person, it is not your job to have to educate the world on how to be kinder and more inclusive. That's not your job. You're doing enough trying to be your amazing square peg self fitting into this round hole. You're doing enough of that. I really don't know if I've got enough traction out of that analogy yet. (laughs) Shall I use it a couple more times? (laughs) <laughs> so don't feel like you have to then be the one that educates them you can point them in the direction you can share your own experience but if the rest of it feels overwhelming it's not your job okay you don't have to do that when we come to the diagnosis itself we've talked about the fear around it I also want to talk to you about some helpful tools when it comes to going for your diagnosis So the first thing I would say, which it sounds like you've been doing already, is gather as much information as you can. Keep journals, keep diaries, keep notes of your symptoms, of how they impact you, of when they come up, of if they are different throughout the month, of how you support yourself, how you soothe yourself, of your childhood, okay? You are, the investigative process is massive and I don't want to sugarcoat that and pretend that it isn't because it is huge okay in order to be diagnosed with ADHD you have to have been presenting with symptoms before the age of 14 so you're going to have to go back to your childhood and for most of us with neurodivergent brains it's very difficult to remember these things so if there's any evidence that you have like school reports things school reports that say things like such and such has so much potential they just talk too much or such and such has so much more potential they just never seem to quite live up to it 
you know, these things like such and such is amazing at this, but then they're very distracted, very easily distracted, talks too much, is up and down out of their seat all of the time. You know, these are quite typical symptoms of ADHD and do not misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that if those aren't present on school reports that you don't have it. I'm just saying if you do have that evidence, it can be very helpful. Any evidence from your school days can be really, really helpful. So go back and gather that stuff and try and get as much as you can around you. Makes the diagnostic process that little bit more seamless. When it comes to choosing which route to go down for a diagnosis, obviously there is a financial barrier to consider and whether that financial barrier exists for you or not. The NHS is hugely overwhelmed and so the waiting lists are long. So you do have to prepare yourself for that if you are going down the NHS route. If you are going down a private route, one of the things I would recommend looking into is which level of psychiatrist or psychologist you're working with because only some can prescribe medicine. Now, I can't remember the difference. I think it's a psychiatrist um, and others cannot some, depending on where you are in the world, if if you are in the UK and you are part, you can utilize the NHS. There are some private companies that the NHS is more likely to work with than others. So I would have those conversations. What happens after the diagnosis? Um, I don't want to pay for private medicine or I don't want to pay for private care. What is your process for working with the NHS and what success have you had with that in the past? I would gather that information because that can impact your experience of support afterwards, depending on whether you're able to fund that yourself or whether you want the NHS help with that. The reason I bring that up is sometimes you might have to go back into the system to get diagnosed via the NHS. It's, it's not that's not the right term, get diagnosed isn't right because you've already been diagnosed, but they might want to do their own investigations, in when it, especially when it comes to medication. So just getting an idea of what happens next if you are going private and if that company is able to work directly with the NHS and get gathering all the information that you can about that will be really, really helpful for your diagnostic process as well. Make sure that you have people around you who are able to support you. It is a very in-depth process and you, you know, because it is the way that it is diagnosed, um, is through gathering information and evidence, you do have to have a lot of corroboration for your experience. Um, and so there will be people, your the person who diagnoses you will ask for other people to be involved, whether that's your parents or your partner or whichever level of, of people you have around you. So make sure that you know who they are going to be and that you are able to have open and honest conversations with them. And just go slow. Be kind, be compassionate with yourself. You might experience some grief, grief for the person that you thought you were, grief for your experience and how different it could have been if someone had recognised this in you as a child. You may experience those things, so just give yourself time to feel that. Don't feel any shame around that. It's a very, very common feeling a lot of people feel. And it's very valid and there's lots of 
when you're going through the diagnostic process, be open and honest with whoever is diagnosing you that you are getting these feelings and be open and honest with whoever is there to give you support at the other side because there are people there that can help you navigate this. It is scary and it is a big thing to go through but for me it was fully transformative to recognise this in myself and to know that I am not broken, that I am not just this like inefficient human being. It's really helped me to understand myself and now I'm able to harness my strengths and I'm able to understand where my weaknesses are. I know what I'm going to struggle with and so I make sure that I get support for those things so that I can do the things that I really excel at so that I can like hyper focus on the things that I love so that I can continue to grow and expand my company which is my massive hyper focus I don't know if you've noticed I make sure that I've got the support in place so that my life doesn't feel like absolute chaos which is how it felt before I had my diagnosis I really hope that that is helpful and I really hope that it helps you find some strength I don't know if you've noticed but I could literally talk about this all day so if you do have more questions or if anyone listening to this wants more information or just wants to speak to someone who has been through it then please don't hesitate to reach out to me because I would really love as many people as possible to get the support that they deserve to be able to navigate their lives and live them to their fullest. You deserve to have an amazing life whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent or whoever you are You deserve to have an amazing and full life. And if I can help you do that, then I am absolutely here for it. Stay strong. You've got this. Hey, Lindsay. I've recently found out I'm pregnant. I'm currently around five weeks. I've been in a good routine with the gym or strength training for around a year and a half. And I would love to continue in some capacity throughout my pregnancy if possible, starting from now. Can you give me some advice around this? I would love to feel strong through this next phase of my life. If I had a pound for every time someone asked me this question, I probably wouldn't have to work. And I say that without any shade. I say it because I understand why people are asking this question. It is such a minefield, a massive minefield, trying to navigate being pregnant and wanting to stay strong. There's so much misinformation out there. There's also so much scaremongering and there's so many uneducated people giving advice that makes it really, really, really difficult to navigate. So I totally understand why you've asked. Unfortunately, I can't give you a list of do's and don'ts. And the reason for that is because every single pregnancy is unique. And that doesn't matter whether it's uh, one pregnancy, your first pregnancy, or whether it's your fifth pregnancy, just because you've been pregnant before doesn't mean that you're going to have the same experience. And I know people who have had multiple pregnancies will confirm that, as well as the fact that every single person experiences pregnancy differently. So for that reason, there isn't a list of do's and don'ts. And I think that's what makes it so confusing. There's a couple of things that I would say and I hope that these are helpful to you. The first thing I would say is to find a reputable coach. Find someone in your local area who has taken the time to become a specialist in this area. I say that because if a coach has taken the time 
to become a specialist in an area, they are a good coach. If someone has invested finances and time and energy in learning more about something, then they are a coach who genuinely cares. And for me personally, that's where I'd want to put my money and also my experience. I'd want to, I'd want to work with someone who cared enough to become a specialist. All personal trainers are not made the same and all personal training courses are not the same. There is very limited information in the level three personal training qualification, which is the one you need to become a personal trainer, about pregnancy. And in some cases, you don't even need that qualification to open a gym. And pregnancy is something that needs a unique approach, an empathetic approach, and it needs a lot of compassion and understanding. Because pregnancy, you can feel different from one day to the next. So find a coach who has taken the time to invest their energy into learning more about supporting pregnant people. Make sure that that coach has a good reputation, has good reviews, has maybe ask around, see who anyone in your life has worked with or just like ask the internet and look at people's reviews and see what are people saying about this person and how has it impacted other people's pregnancies and their journeys. And don't be scared to ask the coach, what are your qualifications? A reputable coach will not be defensive about that. They'll not, someone who is defensive about it is not someone you want to train with. That's someone who's feeling insecure about their own knowledge and experience. If someone comes to me and asks about support with something I don't know about, I will tell them that I don't know and I will pass them on to a coach who does or I will ask them if they would like to come on the journey with me as I learn. That's not something to do in pregnancy, by the way. Maybe in in other less risky phases of your life, but not in pregnancy. So find a reputable coach. The next thing I would say is focus on strength. Okay, there is a kind of blanket rule. If you did something before, you can do it still. But that's not necessarily true. If you didn't strength train before, we work with people, they come to us in the third trimester, they've never strength trained before, and we support them to start strength training. So when you're working with a good coach, they're able to support you and help you understand the risk versus the reward, which is super, super important when it comes to what to do and what not to do. So when you're thinking about um, what are the risks for pregnancy with this type of exercise, like horse riding, and what are the rewards that I'm going to get out of it? And can I get that reward somewhere else that isn't as risky? So that's a really, really important thing to think about. And that's why I always advocate for focusing on strength because strength is something that most of us can access. And also it's something that's going to really, really support your pregnancy and your body and your mind as you progress. And it's going to be amazing support for you postnatally. So thinking about reputable, reputable coach, risk versus reward, and then just being super compassionate with yourself. Like I mentioned earlier, pregnancy changes from one day to the next. So I wouldn't have major expectations of yourself. The focus that we normally have when we're supporting pregnant people is on maintenance. So on maintaining a level of strength and supporting your athleticism as far as you are able and ready to go. And then just removing the pressure. So making sure that we don't put too much pressure on people to be a certain type of way 
on one day to the next just checking in with how do you feel today and what feels possible today and what limits do you want to push to and what do you want to pull back from and when you approach your pregnancy training in that way you're able to be much more consistent because you don't have these expectations of yourself that are attached to your pre-pregnant self and you're compassionate with yourself you are growing a human being so even at rest your body is working and it's working really hard that's why you're so tired things are changing things are moving around you're experiencing these huge changes in your body and your body's constantly adapting and coping with those which is so much more than the rest of us who are not pregnant are doing at rest so just honoring that being compassionate with yourself allowing yourself to have that space and that rest time when you need it and going for it when you feel like it you know just because you're pregnant doesn't mean that you you can't go for it when you feel good but when you're doing that in a safe and well-supported environment then you're able to do it in a way that ensures you're going to have success and not in a way that's going to overwork you and leave you feeling exhausted and unable to get on with your life or in a way that's going to put you at any risk. So that's a really really quick roundup of your question. I hope that it gave you some strength. I hope that it was the answer that you needed. If you have any more questions, then we do offer lots of services for pregnant people. We offer them in person. We offer them online. So you can drop into our website, www.stronglikeamother.co.uk, where you can find more out more about our prenatal services. If you're not in Glasgow, but you do want support from an in-person coach and you don't want online stuff, then reach out to me and I will point you in the direction of some of the wonderful coaches who have taken part in my pre and postnatal education programme and some of the other coaches that I have had the pleasure of working with over the past 10 years. And just remember that you are doing an incredible thing, that pregnancy is so common and because it is, we take it for granted, but it, it can be a really challenging transition in your life. So be kind to yourself and reach out and get some support where you can. Sending you lots of love and strength, Mama. You got this. Hey, Lindsay. How do I find strength to celebrate myself? I'm making real waves in my training. I'm feeling so good and I'm doing things I never thought would be possible for me. I really want to share this. I want to feel good. I want to feel proud of myself, but I just don't feel able to. And whenever I do, I worry that other people will think things like, who does she think she is? And she's getting a bit big for your boots. Or they'll just be eye rolling at me sharing another gym achievement or goal. Can you help me feel more confident to celebrate my achievements? I think if you want to clap for your damn self, that you absolutely should. And I think, and I would love, if we lived in a world where we could do that without the judgment of other people. But the thing is, is that people are always going to judge. They're always going to have something to say. And ultimately, and I know that this is something that is thrown around a lot, but it really is true, what other people have to say about you has more to say about them than it does about you. And I totally recognise this fear that of not being good enough, of, of saying things and people thinking, oh God, here we go again, too big for our boots, because that is what people say. 
But ultimately, this is your life and you only have one of them. And you should be able to celebrate yourself no matter what it's for, whether it's big or small, it doesn't matter. If it matters to you and you want to share it, whether that's on social media or by telling people about it, then you should absolutely get that opportunity. And there is no one on this earth who has the right to hold you back from that. You deserve to take up space. You deserve it. It doesn't matter whether someone thinks your deadlift is amazing or not. It doesn't matter whether people think that your form is great or not. It doesn't matter. It's your experience in your life and you deserve to take up space. How you find the strength to do it is to believe that you are good enough. Is to share authentically and from your heart. Is to be honest and open and share with love. Share because you are genuinely proud of yourself and not because you want to make anyone else feel bad and not because you want to prove that you're worthy. Believe that you're worthy because you are and share with authenticity and love and because you want to and not because anyone has forced you to and it will feel good. And if other people have stuff to say, then let them say it. Because they don't get to be the expert on your life. They don't get to decide that what you can share and what you can't, whether that's online or in person. or They don't get to decide how you celebrate yourself. But we are told from such a young age, don't take up too much space. Don't be too loud. Be nice, but don't be too nice. You don't want people to take advantage of you. Oh, speak up for yourself, but don't be rude. You want to be liked. You want to be nice. It's just so confusing. And it's no wonder that we walk around with low self-worth and low self-esteem because we've been told all of these confusing messages. And it's like, why can't we just be? Be your authentic self. If you're someone who wants to celebrate yourself on social media, do it. If you're someone who doesn't, don't. But let's not judge each other for it. And I think that's what makes it so hard is that being attached to that external validation. And what might be helpful is to work on your validation of yourself and making that the most important thing in your life. Is this truly, authentically, genuinely me from my heart? Then no one else gets to say anything about it. If I'm reliant on external validation, on other people clapping for me, on other people cheering for me, on other people deciding whether I'm good enough, then I'll never feel good enough. Because that type of validation is fickle and it's reliant on someone else and it's reliant on their mood and their experience and how much they want to share and how loud they can celebrate. Hearing other people cheer for you is amazing. It's why we encourage people to do it at slam all the time because it is it's really comforting and community is so important we are not lone wolves we do get a lot from connecting with other people but surround yourself with the type of people who want you to win not the crabs in a bucket the crabs in a bucket analogy is my favorite analogy ever it's i don't know how accurate it is with actual crabs right but it's crabs are in a bucket and they want to get out of the bucket and when one of the crabs starts almost getting out of the bucket like climbing up the walls or whatever the other crabs climb up and pull the crab down so instead of being like 
oh my god go on your bad self get up there and show us how to do it because we also need your help and we'd love to get out this bucket too they think oh no wait a minute you're not getting out that bucket come back down here and be with us in the oh we can't get out the bucket space oh we're so sad I don't know if that's how crabs think or how they talk but that's how that analogy works in my mind and it is one of my favorites don't surround yourself with the crabs in the bucket Surround yourself with the people who want you to win, who are so genuinely happy for you, whether they can do the same as you or not. And the thing is, is we are going to feel feelings of jealousy and resentment. It is part of human nature. I feel them. My friends who want me to win also feel them. It's not a thing that we overcome and we just never, you know, it's going to come up. But it's the differences between projecting that jealousy onto other people and never looking inward or looking inward and saying, why? Okay, I'm feeling a bit jealous. Why am I feeling jealous? What's coming up for me? Why do I feel jealous that she can do that deadlift and I can't? How can I help myself to feel better about this rather than being like, oh, she's a bitch. Oh, I hate her for that. And I think that that is so normalised in our culture. So normalised is oh my god I don't like her and I don't even know why you know I remember this mean girl culture when I was growing up and I remember it being okay to talk about other women like that to make comments on their bodies to say things about what they're doing or who does she think she is and when you've grown up with that of course you're gonna worry about it you're gonna worry that that's gonna be something that people are gonna say about you but ultimately deep down right at the grassroots of this is it doesn't fucking matter like it really doesn't matter and I want you to cheer the loudest for yourself because ultimately it's your life it is your one life and you absolutely deserve to live it I cannot say that enough so please do it please know that you deserve to be in the gym whatever gym it is you go to you deserve to be proud of yourself, whatever achievements it is that you are making in your life, you deserve to and no one gets to decide otherwise. I hope that that's the pep talk you needed. I hope it helps you find strength. And remember, surround yourself with the people who feel like sunshine, who want you to win and not the crabs in the bucket. You've got this. Stay strong. Big love. And clap for your damn self. You deserve it. Wonderful humans, that is all we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the Strength Actually podcast, for submitting your questions and for daring to be vulnerable. It means so much to me to have you here and I cannot wait to hear what you ask next week. If you'd love to drop me a question, you can do so via the link in the show notes. And until next time, stay strong, friends.